am in the midst of a series I've been doing on some Wednesday nights about the uh, great Old Testament saints that we could look at and how they lived their lives and what we can learn from them uh, to incorporate the principles that we see in their lives in our own life. And as I had mentioned, uh, a favorite scripture to mine when we look at this topic is um, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It's a principle that I use in Old Testament study when I look at the lives of these Old Testament folks. And in Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So when we're looking at the lives of these Old Testament uh, folks, it isn't just filler for the Bible. It is uh, a life to look at that I can learn from, that I don't make the mistakes they made, that I can learn how they had success. And of course, we have a better covenant in the New Testament, uh, Hebrews tells us. So all the more, I have more access to me than they should have had to them. So we want to learn from those who walked by faith and imitate their faith. Uh, so this is a great opportunity here when we look at these folks in the Old Testament. They're a picture for us, a lesson of life for us, illustrating to us what good principles of life that we need to follow. And of course, like I said, the mistakes we want to avoid. So um, uh, it's a great advantage of us when you think about it to look at someone's entire lifetime and glean from that the truth of God's Word. Uh, find out why they had success, why they had failure. And uh, that's the reason why we want to study them. Okay, so when we, I looked, um, it must have been more than a year ago, at the life of David, we had seven principles of success from the life of David. We looked at Moses already uh, regarding uh, the different phases of Moses' life and how that reflects our own walk with the Lord. And uh, very recently, we looked at Joseph, who persevered under trial. And now we're going to look at tonight, Daniel. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Daniel. We'll be in there a lot tonight uh, looking at scriptures. Um, so well, while you're finding Daniel, let's pray here. Uh, Father God, we just ask you that your word would be uh, deeply planted in us, Father, by your spirit tonight. Uh, that, Lord God, I would not interfere with what your spirit would want to say. That, Father God, we would leave here with uh, principles by which to live by to honor you in these days ahead. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a little background first. If you're new to Daniel, haven't read the book of Daniel yet in your uh, life, or uh, forgot some things. Uh, first of all, when we look at the book of Daniel, we have King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and he invaded Judah more than once, the southern kingdom. The first time he invaded, uh, before Jerusalem fell to him, he took back with him to Babylon the brightest hopes of the peoples that he would conquer. Then he would educate them uh, into Babylonian culture, into government training, and educate them in Babylonian ways. So when he had the first invasion, he took back with him some Hebrew youths. And uh, all we know, uh, there were several of them, but one of them was Daniel. And all we know of Daniel from chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, is that he was young, uh, he was handsome, he was apparently a cut above the rest. This was a special person. Uh, he was quick to learn. It only took him three years to learn the, the uh, Babylonian language of, uh, of uh, Akkadian. 
I got that. Acadian. Ah, I got it. Acadian. I said it. Uh, which is a very difficult language to learn and pronounce in public. Uh, we also see that he was of royal lineage. And there were also four uh, uh, more with him. Uh, so he was one of these three others, I'm sorry. He was one of these four. And um, Daniel, difficult to say how old he was at this time, probably between 17 to 19 years old, scholars believe, uh, when he was deported. And then by chapter 10 in the book of Daniel, uh, he's probably in his mid-80s or very early 90s. So a lot of time is going by fast in this short book. And he becomes an administrator and a statesman under Nebuchadnezzar. So his ministry here begins at a time of much turmoil. Uh, he didn't start out as a priest or a prophet, just a, a young, bright Hebrew youth taken into captivity in really lousy circumstances of life, which means he'll probably never go back to Israel again. Wow, that's heavy stuff. That's heavy stuff. So in the content here of the book of Daniel, what you're reading, uh, Daniel previews the Jewish political restoration of the nation. He concerns himself with the world kingdoms that are kind of come over the years and the kingdom of God. Uh, it's an odd book because it's both a history book and a prophetic book. Like when you're reading Joshua, that's a history book. When you're reading Isaiah, that's a prophetic book. It's one of the few books in the entire Bible that's both in the Old Testament that's both historical and prophetic. Uh, the first six chapters of Daniel are history. That's a history book. And the last uh, chapters, chapters 7 to 12, are a prophetic book. So this is the prophetic part of Daniel that we're going to be getting into also. And uh, it's also a companion to the book of Revelation. Those of you like to study end times, Daniel's real important. Uh, Daniel's also very odd because most of the Old Testament prophets focused on the sin of the people and how they're falling away from God. That's a big message in most of the Old Testament prophets. Not Daniel. He doesn't focus on the sin of the people like Micah or Isaiah, but he's concerned about the future Gentile powers that are going to come to pass and Israel's restoration one day in the future. Uh, there's a lot we could say about this great Bible book, but I just want to look tonight specifically on how Daniel's faith was tested and how he proved to be a man of integrity. When you're in the Old Testament, a lot of these guys were borderline losers. <laughs> I mean, Samson got it right at the end of his life, but Samson was a playboy personality, major mistakes. There's very few of these guys that are like perfect in the eyes of the Lord. Joseph was one of them. We looked at Joseph. And Daniel's another one. Daniel's a good guy. This guy is really, really special. Uh, so definitely he's somebody we want to look at to learn from as New Testament believers. Um, and looking at a scripture here before we start to get into Daniel, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, if we look in the middle here at verse 5, it says, For faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while it is necessary that you have been distressed by various trials that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Good verse because Peter is writing to this to Jewish Christians who are being persecuted. And uh, trials, we need to realize, as we learned if you were here when we did Joseph, trials are unfortunately a part of life. And we saw here, uh, last time we did this with Joseph, uh, we saw that true character in us is forged through adversity. Did you ever realize that? True character that you have is forged through adversity. That is, the junk we have in us is burned away through adversity. And what really matters and what really remains is strengthened. That's why the world, uh, the Depression generation in America in the 1930s was really your, one of your last really tough generations of people because they lived through adversity. They, know what it, they knew what it was to live under great trial. Uh, we really have never seen that again, thank God. But boy, what they went through uh, was amazing. But it left them very tough people. They could not be intimidated. And the World War II generation that came from them was greatly influenced by them. Uh, you know, when we look at what happened in our own time that we're living in now, in the COVID season, so many in America were falling apart right and left. You can tell they ain't no tough generation. They're nothing like the uh, generation of the 30s. And again, the principle is that adversity produces strength and true character. Uh, so what we have here is uh, looking in the Old Testament here at men and women of God who go through trials in their lives. And Daniel is one of the best Old Testament examples, like Joseph, of going through trials that he came out of very, very successful in the eyes of the Lord because he wouldn't let go of God and did things in the right way in the midst of trial. Uh, as we looked here in um, last time we uh, spoke on uh, Joseph, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it tells us we shouldn't be surprised at fiery trials that can come our way. Obviously, most people are very surprised. We shouldn't be surprised at them. Uh, because we pass through them with a greater integrity than when we first went through them. So Daniel is such a picture of this for us to learn from. So let's look at this tonight, Daniel's tests of faith, a man of integrity. Uh, there's three of them. The first one is a test from chapter 1. And we're going to read through a, lot, through a lot of scriptures now. Chapter 1, and basically Daniel says no to defilement. That's a biggie. He says no to defilement. So here in chapter 1 here, uh, in verse 8, uh, he was um, made to eat or required him and his uh, Hebrew friends to eat the king's food, etc., that they thought was defiling. In verse 8, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission of the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Verse 9, now God granted Daniel favor. First he makes the decision and God backs him up. And compassion in the favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Verse 10, the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has allotted your food and your drink, for why should, I see, why should he see your face looking gaunt in comparison to the other youths who are of your age? Then he would make me forfeit my head to the king. And Daniel said to the overseer, 
whom the commander of the officials appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please put your servant to the test for 10 days. And just let me be given us some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants accordingly to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and put them to the test for 10 days. All right, we'll stop there right now. First of all, Daniel refuses to defile himself. And um, he leads the other uh, Hebrew youth to join him as an example. And what you have here is a picture of integrity. He would not defile himself before God, before food that uh, good Jewish boys don't eat. And he had this, this picture of integrity in himself. So that's a pretty important picture here. Here Daniel leads his friends to come with him and follow him in integrity. So, you know, when we read something like this, when you're reading the Word of God, we have to stop some time and ask ourselves hard questions. Um, and one of the hard questions here that we should ask ourselves has to do with uh, spiritual health. Um, here these youth follow Daniel because of his model of integrity. So a question that they ask ourselves is, is anybody following my example? Have I given them an example to follow? Tough question. And if you think that's not possible, I guarantee you, your children are following your example. Your grandchildren are following your example. They're watching you constantly. What kind of an example of integrity and not being defiled are you showing them? So, yes, somebody's following your example. Okay, then here in verse 9, um, we see here that God granted Daniel favor uh, because of his stance. Then we would go down here to verse 15 through 17. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. I wonder what this guy's eating. Pretty good. Verse 17. And these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every kind of literature and expertise. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So we have here, they have rewards now, right? Given to them by God because of their stance of integrity. That's an amazing thing. Uh, their rewards of favor now continue. They have God-given brains that others didn't have. And Daniel has now spiritual gifts associated with him as well. So the point here is those that would not defile themselves before the Lord are granted favor from God. So it's normal for favor to follow those that will honor the Lord. So another hard question to ask ourselves is, is there favor following me? If not, have I compromised? Have I defiled myself? That's not to beat yourself up, but it's to ask hard questions. Am I a man or woman of integrity in how I deal with other people, right? Where I work and how I deal with others in, in terms of, would they say of me, wow, this, this, this man, this woman has integrity? What kind of a life am I showing them? Because if I do that, the favor of God will follow in my life. A lot of people surely want the favor of God, but they don't live a life that would have it shown. If I could say that, you know, 
uh, as an old saying, I don't know where it comes from, but one day of favor with the Lord is better than a lifetime of labor. Amen. Never forgot that? One day of favor with the Lord is better than a lifetime of labor. So, as we look at these next few chapters of Daniel here, we're going to see that he has his integrity challenged more than once. And yet he still remains true to his convictions. And every time he does, God shows up with favor. That's the, one of the pictures we learn here as we start to read this more critically. All right, let's look at the second test we have here. The second test is from chapter 2, and it's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. All right, in chapter 2 here, in verse 5, Nebuchadnezzar has his dream. Okay. And it bothers him, it disturbs him, and so he goes to um, his people around him. And the king replied to the Chaldeans in verse 5, uh, the, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into a rubbish heap. Verse 8, the king replied, I know for certain that you are trying to buy time because you have perceived the command from me is firm. Verse 9, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. And you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream so that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. Wow. This guy wants the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him the dream he dreamed. Then interpret it. Wow. And if they didn't do it, total destruction for them and their families. Pretty tough. See, actually what Nebuchadnezzar wanted is what the New Testament would call a word of knowledge. He wanted a spiritual gift to operate, to, to speak of a fact that has already taken place that only the mind of God could reveal. That's what he was really looking for. Uh, but of course, uh, they're sweating this off. Of course, in verses uh, 10 and 11 here, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is no person on the earth who could declare the matter to the king because no great king or ruler has ever asked for anything like this of any of the soothsayer priests, sorcerers, or Chaldeans. Uh, moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose uh, dwelling presence is not with mortal flesh. So here in verses 12 and 13, they die. Because of this, the king became angry and extremely furious, and he gave orders to kill all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued that the wise men be killed, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. So here the wise men are killed, which would have included Daniel and these Hebrew children. Now, we come down here in verse 18. We're going to see a lot of biblical principles start to pop up. Here in verse 18... Uh, it says, so that they might have, so they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his friends would not be killed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Uh, so we see here that um, the first principle we have here regarding Daniel that we're going to see is that godly men go to God for answers and they don't rely on their own ability. 
Uh, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and even people who do know Christ as their Savior, you're going to go right to your five senses. You're going to go right to your rational mind. You're going to go right to your reasoning ability and try to figure things out. Daniel does not do this. Daniel is going to now going to go to the Lord for answers. He's not going to try to figure it out with himself, and yet he's a very bright person. He's not going to do that. He calls for this prayer meeting. There's prayer, and then God speaks. Verse 19 through 23. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then uh, Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And wrong page. There we go. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said in verse 10, there is no person on the earth who could declare such a... Did I read that already? Yes, I did. Sorry. Verse 19. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in night vision, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel said, May the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And he goes on. It is he who changes the times and the periods. By the way, that's a very important scripture. That's a very important prophetic scripture that the times and the, and the periods that happen are in God's hands to change, not in men's hands. We're living in one of those times right now. That's a very important scripture. Uh, actually, we have been living it since Israel became a state. Um, all right. He removes kings and appoints kings and gives wisdom to men and the knowledge of people of under, to, to people of understanding. Uh, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. You have given me wisdom and power, and even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made it known to us the king's matter. Okay, uh, second principle here is that uh, we learn that Daniel takes time now to stop and give God all the glory and the thanksgiving for what has happened. And he goes, I got the answer. And he didn't run over to this God. He stopped. Before he went to this heathen king, he stopped and gave God the thanks and the praise and the glory first. Daniel was faithful to the Lord first, and then the Lord becomes faithful to Daniel. So that's the principle here that we learn, is that we always take time to be thankful and be in worship. When the Lord reveals us things, when the Lord shows us light on things, we don't blab them out of our mouth so quick. We stop and give him praise, honor, and glory. And I think he's watching to see if we will. If we have the integrity of Daniel, we will. So that's something we learn here. All right. Then we're in chapter 2 here. And in verses 26 through 28. Then the king said to Daniel... Now, Daniel had been given the name Belshazzar. Then the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretations? And Daniel answered and said to the king, As for the secret about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, sorcerers, soothsaying priests, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to me 
uh, King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while you were on your bed. We're not going to go in detail about the dream, but here now God is giving Daniel supernatural ability, a gift of the Holy Spirit, which is, these are not church times. It's an amazing thing, a word of knowledge in the king's presence. And if you notice the way he's talking here to the king, the third principle we quickly see here is um, that godly men don't take credit for themselves what God gives them. They openly, openly give credit to God. That's a very important principle. When the Lord does great things, don't you dare try to steal his glory. Don't you dare say, because of me, this happened. I have known people to do that. And uh, one guy, I don't know. He may have died young because of that, for taking credit for healings. Oh, he said, yes, I healed those people. No, God did. You didn't. He did not live much longer after that. Not saying why, but you don't talk like that. You don't talk like that. You don't take credit for what God has done. It's very important. So Daniel here, that's a principle we learn from Daniel. Uh, always give the Lord credit. Never take credit for what God has done. So if things go well, say, well, praise God. He was so good to bless us, wasn't he? I don't take credit for that. All right, verse 46. Um, all right, so Daniel here is going to, after Daniel's done, verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid humble respect to Daniel. Kings don't do this at that time in history, I guarantee you. How about that? And he gave orders to present him an offering and incense. And the king responded to Daniel and said, your God truly is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, a revealer of secrets, since you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel. Remember the favor happening? Here it comes. And gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the entire providence, province of Babylon, the chief preset, prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. It must have made them jealous. And Daniel made a request to the king to also appoint a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the three Hebrew children in their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Wow. So here Daniel is done, and the, even the unsaved recognize who the Lord God of the universe truly is. Absolutely amazing. And then... Once Daniel is given favor, he remembers others who were with him that they are not forgotten. Right? We stand on the shoulders of giants. Do not forget those who put you wherever you are in life. Somebody helped. Remember them always. Never ever take the credit for yourself. You're not that much of a hot shot. Amen. So actually here now, there's more tests of faith and integrity issues with Daniel and his friends. We don't have time tonight to go through that. We're not going to do that. We're just going to focus on Daniel and one last example here from Daniel. All right, this is the third test now. And you all know of this, chapter 6, Daniel and the lion's den. Okay, by the time we get here to chapter 6, Daniel is minimally 60, 62 years old. Somewhere around there, a lot of time has gone by. Uh, there's a, now a different king. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. And this is a king called Darius. And he's appointed during the Medo-Persian 
Empire. So obviously, Medo-Persia has now taken over Babylon. There's a new hotshot in town. They own it. And uh, Darius is probably appointed by the governor Cyrus, as it says in uh, chapter 6, verse 28. He's called Cyrus the Persian. All right, we're here in chapter 6 here. And uh, we see here in chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, those are administrators, over the kingdom to be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, so that the satraps would be accountable to them and that the king would suffer no loss. So right off the bat here, we have that um, Daniel, uh, his reputation continues even a new ruler knows who this guy is. Wow. And he also, it says the next verse, we're not going to read it, that Daniel possessed an extraordinary spirit. He possessed an extraordinary spirit because God could trust him because he was a man of integrity. God trusts people of integrity with great things. Those that he cannot trust, he doesn't entrust things to. Which is another soul-searching question, can God trust me? It's a heavy one. Can God trust me? Um, all right. Go to verse 4 here. Well, obviously, these guys didn't like this. Who was this Daniel guy? They didn't like this. Then the commissioners and satraps, verse 4, began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel regarding governmental affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption because he was trustworthy and no uh, negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him uh, regarding the law of his God. Then the commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him, uh, oh, King Darius, live forever. These guys are, are fanny kissers, right? And uh, so what they have here is compa uh, com competition and jealousy. Competition and jealousy will attack men and women of God. If you are a man or woman of God, you will be attacked by competition and jealousy eventually. And remember, envy and jealousy are not the same. Envy is I want what you have. Jealousy is I want what you have and I want you dead. Jealousy is a kin, a cousin to murder. And they were jealous of Daniel. They wanted him dead. So we have here then in um, verse 7, all the commissioners of the kingdom and prefects and, and satraps and counselors of the governor have consulted together that the king should establish and, and enforce an injunction that anyone who offers a prayer to any god or person besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be thrown into the lion's den. All of them? That's a lie. Daniel was one of them. He didn't agree to this. That's a lie right off the bat there in verse 7. Verses 8 and 9. Now they lay a trap for Daniel. Now, O king, establish an injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians that it may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. He was tricked. That is the injunction. Now, Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the document was signed, what did he do? Oh, forget this Hebrew stuff. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get myself in trouble. No. He entered his house and in his roof chamber, 
That's like wide open for everyone to see. He had the windows open towards Jerusalem and he continued uh, kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and offering praise before his God just as he had been doing previously. Daniel knew all of this and he did it anyway. He prayed anyway. Not in secret, could have, didn't do that. He did what was usual for him, not to be a show-off or to provoke something. This man has integrity. He does not even change under the threat of death. Wow. Amazing. Uh, going down here, let's skip to verse 13. Uh, so, then they responded and spoke to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed. He keeps offering his prayers three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed because he knew he had been had, that he and Daniel had been betrayed. He knew it. And he set his mind on rescuing Daniel until the sunset. Uh, he kept entreating and exerting himself to save him. So right off the bat here, um, the enemy has had this plan put in men's hearts because he doesn't like men and women of integrity. And we get down here to verse 16. Then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought and thrown into the lion's den. And the, and the king said to Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself rescue you. Then in verse uh, 18, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting with no entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled from him. Now he knew if Daniel was killed, the kingdom is in deep, deep trouble. Um, verse 19, and the king got up at dawn, at the break of the day, went in a hurry to the lion's den. And we had come to near the den. He cried out with a troubled voice. Oh, the king began speaking to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continuously serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Verse 21, then Daniel spoke out, Oh, king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me. Since I was found innocent before him, and toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then Daniel was, then the king was very glad and gave orders to Daniel to be lifted up out of the den. And Daniel was lifted up out of the den, and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he trusted in his God. So here in verses 21 to 23, uh, we see the scripture in Jeremiah, chapter 32, verse 17, which says, nothing is too difficult for thee. Boy, does that fit this one. Because that was a difficult one. Nothing is too difficult for thee. And then we see in verse 23 here, the reason he was protected, because he trusted in God. He started that way and he wasn't going to change. Check this out here in verse 24. Then the king gave orders and they brought those men who maliciously accused Daniel and threw them, wow, their children and their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Wow. 
Listen to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 8. The righteous is delivered from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. Wow. I like when Scripture talks about Scripture. That's exactly what happened here. The wicked took their place. Wow. That's a bizarre thing. And, of course, their families were affected because uh, they were the, um, the legal authority uh, spiritually over their homes, and the whole family is affected. Right? If you have godly parents, the children are affected in a godly way. If you have parents that practice wickedness, the children suffer. Isn't, has it changed any different today? So here we see here an amazing thing. Then in verse 26 and 27, um, I, issue, I issue a decree that all the realm of my kingdom and people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. This is a heathen king. He rescues and saves and performs signs and miracles in the heaven and on the earth, and he who also rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. Wow, lions. Wow. Amazing. And this degree, decree he does out of pleasure, not the decree in verses 8 and 9 where he was forced to. So we see here we have three tests. We have first that Daniel says no to defilement. Uh, second is the test of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Men go to God when they want answers. They don't trust in themselves. And third, we see in the lion's den, they will not compromise what they believe even unto death. Easier said than done. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. And of course, we learn from this that we are to be such men and women of God. This is there to teach us on the decisions we need to make. So, um, Daniel here we see, he passes all these uh, tests with success and the favor of God follows him. Uh, we can look a lot more here at the book of Daniel in integrity and excellence, uh, how Daniel operated again and again. There's several more examples we're not going to do tonight. Um, but, and we realize that most of us will never have to face challenges like this that Daniel faced. Of course not. But we uh, will be tested and persecuted in the age we live in if we, are, if we do not compromise the Word of God. And you don't know where in life that can come from. I remember when I was real young, uh, I had just left college, I got a job. It was a temporary one to be funded into a permanent one. And um, other people were up for the same position. I was better qualified. I didn't get the job. Then someone who worked there as a Christian said, don't you know why you didn't get the job? Because they found a Bible on your desk. They didn't want you here. I felt 10 feet tall. Amen. I was persecuted because I was a Christian. Oh, this is great. I love it. This is just great. I thought it was tremendous. Wow. I thought that was really cool. I knew um, someone from the early 1980s. He was, uh, I don't remember the story 100%. He was a uh, salesman of very large machinery. I don't know if it was for factories or earth-moving equipment. I don't know. But, th but th these machines cost in six figures. And um, he was about to do a sale. He was a very good salesman for his company. And he was about to do a sale. He had just become a believer. And I don't know how it worked out. I don't know how these, these things work. But behind the scenes, the bottom line was, if he made the sale, they would put $10,000 in his pocket because he sold it at a cheaper price or something. And uh, he said no. Well, they got so ticked off at him, 
they wouldn't buy from his company. Then they called his supervisor at his company and told them what happened. Well, he goes back and he finds out this is how deals are done. We cut a deal under the side, you get money in your pocket, and we get a sale in six figures. You turn down a six-figure sale? He was fired. He was fired for having integrity not to take a bribe and not to do things under the table for whatever, how that works. So he goes home, he's all depressed. <laughs> he got to tell his wife that he lost his job. And she was a believer, so she said, didn't you always want to be a restaurant owner? And he said, yeah. Well, let's believe God you'll be a restaurant owner. He goes, I got no money for that. Let's just believe God. So sure enough, he meets a friend that he hasn't seen in years. And the guy says, you know, you know something about restaurants, don't you? He goes, yeah. I always wanted to invest in a restaurant. How about if we go in business together? He goes, what? And this guy put up all the money and they opened up the restaurant that he always wanted to have. Without the stress and the pressure of having to deal with people who want you to take bribes. Pretty cool. You don't know when in life that kind of trial and pressure can come on you, but if you will always remain true to the Lord in your heart, the Lord will see you through it. You may not know the details right now in front of you, but somewhere down the road, it won't cost you, it will bless you. Amen. It's a matter of integrity, and you just don't know when that'll happen, but it could happen to anyone at any time. Uh, Daniel here passed these tests of persecution, and um, in the age he lived in, and we're also called to not compromise God's Word in our lives, even if it would cost us something. Hey, I've known a lot of people, don't have to raise your hands, you might be here tonight, who have lost their families because they don't go to the same church they were raised in. And their family were upset, they go to a different church. Uh, happened to me. I have relatives who won't even talk to me because I no longer attend the Catholic Church. They haven't talked to me in 30, 40 years. They won't talk to me because I don't, not that they go to church. It's like, it's amazing. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I've known people to lose family members. They won't talk to them anymore because they don't do it the way they were told to do it in life. Will you walk with the Lord? Didn't cost me anything as far as I'm concerned. Amen? Amen. Didn't cost me anything. Just the blessings of the Lord. One thing I want to leave you with tonight is I want you to consider the younger you are that you do this, the better. Uh, you need to make an integrity plan for your life. Um, it's very important that we make it a point to make a decision inside of us. What does it mean to be a man or woman of God with integrity? Uh, in other words, a personal integrity policy that you're going to walk with God with. It's good to put it in writing of how you will live your life out. And I just want to give you three quick examples that we just saw here from Daniel. The first is, I would encourage you to make a decision, always look to God first. Whatever adversity comes your way, I'm going to look to God first. Because there will be a big pressure not to. There'll be a big pressure to rely on your wits, your intelligence, your education, your family, especially when there's money involved. Uh, there'll be a great pressure not to look to God first. You need to look to God first. The second thing is that I would encourage you to do is never compromise how you live in worship to Him. You remember Daniel he was supposed to not pray and worship publicly. He refused to change. So in other words, never make a change to how you personally worship in your private time for anyone. Because I can tell you, people sometimes they marry the wrong person and they're told, uh, I don't want to hear you praying in this house and I don't want to hear this and that. And they found, oh my gosh, I just walked into hell. What did I do? Right? 
yeah, you got to make sure uh, that uh, you just, for no one on the face of this earth, goes ahead of Jesus in your life. Love my wife, but she's second. Jesus comes first. And she wouldn't have it any other way. That's her view as well. You know, uh, we walk with the Lord first. You're just an add-on now. A nice add-on, but you're an add-on. We walk with the Lord first. Not one person on the face of this earth is more important to me than walking with the Lord first in my life. Uh, and uh, that, is, uh, that is something that's very important you have to get to. And, um, you know, your, your private worship life is not your public worship life. When you come here in church and being involved in a worship, you're affecting other people, and you don't necessarily do publicly what you do privately. I remember we had this one lady here, she liked to wave flags, which is fine. But she would kept putting in people's faces. I got hit with a flag once or twice. And she didn't realize you can't do that. No, that's how I worship the Lord. You're hitting people with the flag. That is not right. You can't sin against love and say you're worshiping the Lord. She didn't want to hear it. Then put the flag over there somewhere. If you, you can't hit people in the face with a flag and tell me you're worshiping Christ. I can't accept that. And uh, so, you know, how, what you do in your private life, hey, that's between you and God and there's nobody's business. But when we get together as the body of Christ, we have a corporate worship uh, philosophy we should have to respect each other, right? And how you uh, personally worship should not uh, harm other people. You don't get two inches from somebody's face and, and scream Jesus. You don't do that, okay? Uh, so we need to publicly respect one another in the Lord that we do not sin against love. What you do in private, hey, go for it. But when it's, uh, you know, in per public worship, is a different concept of how we worship the Lord corporately. That was free. It was extra. Okay, number two here. Uh, we don't want to compromise in our worship before him. Number three, like Daniel, like Joseph in the book of Genesis, always share with others the gifts God has given you. That's a personal integrity you should have, that whatever goodness and God has shown in your life, you make sure you give that to other people. That's not for you. There are some people that have, uh, I've met over the years that have a gift of hospitality. They just have to be hospitable to people. Good. You carry that out. You bless other folks because the Lord will use you to do that. There's many types of giftings in the body of Christ. But the point is, Daniel, as well as Joseph, shared the supernatural gifts God had given them. So should we freely. Don't only do, do nice to people who do nice to you back. Right? You equally share to everyone the goodness of God, whether they like it or not, thank you or not, or appreciate it or not. Always be quick to share. In closing here with a scripture here, um, Daniel, we, look, we learn, uh, had humility. And uh, he had humility before anyone who would challenge him. So should we. We should be a humble people constantly. Um, and we learn here from 1 Peter chapter 3, Verses 15 to 17. This is truly being a witness for Christ, a living witness. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, may be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you should suffer for doing what is right 
than for doing what is wrong. So I just want to leave you tonight with that thought that the gentleness and humility should always be a hallmark for us. We learn that from Daniel. It's a New Testament as well as an Old Testament principle. God truly promotes with favor those that are humble and those uh, that are gentle. So let, let it be said that of us, that our love of the Lord is seen in how we behave and how we speak to others. Amen? Amen. Let's just close in prayer here. Uh, Father God, that we would leave here tonight with a greater understanding of the integrity that we learned from Daniel. Uh, that we, Father, would make these uh, hallmarks for our own life in these days ahead to follow, even when wronged, even when wronged unjustly, that we would be men and women that will show the love and the gentleness and the humility that's in Christ to all that we come in contact with in these days ahead. We thank you for that, Father God, that we would be known as people that have been with Jesus because of our behavior and our words. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.